Welcome to Charisma Boost, Dumpstack Charisma's podcast, where we discuss all things tabletop, RPG, and Dungeons and & Dragons. A quick note before we get started, each of these episodes are pulled directly from our Twitch streams, so you may hear some random chimes from our alerts. If you'd like to watch this or any of our other campaigns live, you can do so on twitch.tv slash dumpstackcharisma. A quick note here from the man behind the curtain. In just a few seconds, you're going to hear this podcast referred to as The Stat Dump. We actually changed the name to Charisma Boost after this episode was recorded because we flubbed it a couple of times. With that cleared up, on to the podcast. Hey! Hello there. Welcome. Welcome to Dumpstack dump, dump, dump Charisma, Zay. Flub right off the bat there. Hey, uh, oh, that's a good start. This is uh, our very first episode of the Stat Dump. We're gonna start doing uh, a podcast uh, style uh, where we talk about role play, um, tabletop RPGs, our experiences within them, um, and then uh, when the time is right, answering some questions from you guys, the viewers. Um, so if you have questions as we go through things, uh, go ahead, leave comments, uh, chat up. Uh, leave questions. Um, we will come back around. We will get to them. Uh, we do have a man behind the scenes. Uh, you can't see him. Uh, that's the behind the scenes part. <laughs> uh, and he will uh, monitor chat and uh, give us questions as they come up. Um, we have a panel of four. Uh, myself, I am Robert. I am uh, best known for playing bards in our games. Uh, and if I'm not a bard, I'm a very talkative asshole. Yeah. Um, that's my archetype. That's my, my go-to point. The two aren't mutually exclusive. No. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, and over here is Mike. Well, I'm Mike, uh, Severantos in chat. Uh, I typically play one of two things, either the wizard or the duelist, and sometimes both. Then we have Paul. Hi, I'm Paul. <laughs> oh, is it Paul? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Paul. Uh, I'm Andaluth in chat and all that fun stuff. Uh, I guess you could... Sum up what I like to play as Shade of Grey, Edgelords with an Honorable Streak. And that usually manifests in multiple different classes, but always in the same way. My name is Dylan. Uh, I run social media for Dumpstat, so if you're talking to Dumpstat, you're probably talking to me. Um, I play Bindle, Growl, Zook, Pasco, Eddie Donahue, Dornbill in uh, The Awakening, as well as Cast Telkantar in Hunt for the Ripper. And uh, I really rarely play the same thing twice. Um... I've played almost every class in Pathfinder, and, uh, yeah. Although I really like rogues and monks. Show off, Mitch. Dylan's usually the, the guy that fills in the role that somebody else isn't in, because he's got 20 different builds that he wants to get to. Yeah. yeah. Truth. And they so, never get to them all. I know. It's Ooh. a lot. Uh, so what we're going to go uh, first, like our that, first question uh, <laughs> from our panel um, is what is the most memorable character that you've played? Uh, maybe a character that you're most known for uh, in the group. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll start with Dylan. Um, I will say uh, there's been a couple, um, but probably uh, Stev Ribbitson. Uh, he's a gripply rogue. Gripply are a little two foot tall frog people. Where's the um, statue? It's downstairs. Uh, it's downstairs. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stev was. Uh, I mean, the, the premise of the campaign was we were transported from another world uh, into one that needed our help. And uh, Stev was transported right out of his swamp village. And uh, he was known for being something of a daredevil of a gripply because he had left the village 
on one previous occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, so he knew nothing about the world. Everything he knew about it, he'd heard of in books. Uh, the party would go to like a, a an inn to stay the night. He'd be like, "Oh, an inn! I've heard of these." Um, he was also terrified of magic and had the highest stealth score of any character that I've ever played, um, and that I, probably ever will play. I think he might also uh, have the medal of the highest stealth rank, just <laughs> out of every character we played. It's almost perfect. Yeah, almost perfect. Uh, that was before we implemented traits. This was in Pathfinder, um, so we could have had one more. Um, so yeah, perfect. Minus one. <laughs> Minus one. Also, technically, goblins get a plus four racial bonus to stealth, which he didn't get. So. Really? Well, he only... Only when in a forested terrain would he get that. So, oh, okay. it's almost so you're trying to say you didn't optimize, right? It, it wasn't perfect. <laughs> it was close, though. <laughs> so, perfect. Minus five. This is sounding much less impressive, now. Yeah, I know. I undersold it. Yep. What about you, Paul? Uh, I don't have the same amount of uh, the, the depth of pool of characters that some of my compatriots have as far as um, options. One of my favorite characters that's going to stick with me for probably the longest time is a ASMR Sword Saint Samurai. I like the alliteration there. Uh, named Alatron. He was uh, kind of like a knight-errant sort of personality. Traveled the land. Uh, wanted to do good works. Help people. Um, honorable to the point of, like, obnoxious, though. So, like, there would be a situation where it's like, hey, you know what, like, judgment says we should probably do in this situation is, you know, like, handle things subtly. And he's like, "Mm, nah, miss me. And it's like, oh, okay, thanks. Thanks, bro. Big help. Uh, But he was always super supportive. He was loyal to, like, 110%, though. So there was, like, absolutely zero chance that he would ever, like, directly harm the party, if at all possible. And uh, his build, I think, was probably one of the most unusual things about him because he only hit once every round. And, like, every round, that's what it was. He hit once, and he did, like, 200, 300 damage with it. And he was just known for the one-hit kill. So it was pretty pretty fun. Mike? Uh, I've been playing for a long time. Um it's hard to pick just one, but if we're going to go with it, then I'm going to pick the Exile Campaign character as well. Uh, my most memorable, which is Kreia. Uh, Kreia saw play in three of the four different Exiles, um, two of which were, I guess, same world. Let's see. Like Exile was played a couple times. Uh, Mark one and Mark two... Um, they were played to an extent and then kind of, like, ended. I guess Mark 1 technically happened. So to, to, to clarify, uh, Exile started at this point, and then the session, then that campaign ended, and then the next one picked up after that, and then that ended, and then the next one picked up. And so it was basically like each new game was its own era. There yeah. were four. I played in all of them, except two is non-canon and never happened. I think that's the best way to describe yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so complicated at all. <laughs> in two. That didn't happen. This was rebuilt for three, and then showed up later in four. EU shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. For sure. We, uh, uh, we ruled out that canon. It's, it's just... Long story short, very high perception, very high knowledge, uh, a straight wizard lore master um, for Pathfinder. Um, just tried to essentially learn all that she could learn. And it was a very fun, very quirky character. Um, 
for me, it's also going to be from the Exile campaign. Um, uh, Savian Wintersilk, he was a uh, Kitsune bard um, who was built for a single purpose, and that was deceiving people um, via disguise uh, or more specifically bluffing. Um, he was constantly lying to the NPCs, uh, to the party. Uh, he was almost killed in the first session because he lied to the party uh, <laughs> and they know they couldn't trust him. Uh, that was terrible role play on my part. Um, but that's definitely my most memorable character. Uh, he started as a, a street scavenger, was pulled into a new world, um, and at the end of the, the campaign found himself um, as a uh, leader of a town, of a city. Um, so that was, uh, that was something. Mm-hmm. Uh, flip side of that, those are our most memorable characters. What about the worst character you've played? Either for mechanical reasons or um, it just didn't mesh with the game or the, the, the party you were in. Um, for me, uh, Back to Exile is going to be uh, Reggie Von Fluff, um, who was a total asshole. Uh, he was essentially Savian version one with zero good qualities. Uh, he was poorly built uh, mechanically. His personality was garbage. Uh, he didn't get along with anybody, um, and he rightfully died by a party member. Um, oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> I believe he was frozen and then exploded. Yes, that is 100% what happened. Uh, mythic items will freeze you and kill you, uh, especially when you're an asshole. So uh, that's definitely my worst character I've ever played. And there have been quite a few that uh, are up in that territory. But Reggie always gets eye rolls whenever he gets brought up. Yeah, um, he's a mean. So that's mine uh, for worst character. Uh, I, I still suffer from the same challenge of having a very low pool of characters to pull from. I would say that one of the most negative characters I played was actually the first character I attempted in uh, the current group that I'm playing with, which is actually Taz. Um, I really enjoyed his build. I really enjoyed the character I designed, uh, but I did not whatsoever explain who he was going into the campaign. And so people's expectations were far different than my the way that I pulled it off, I would think, is probably the major issue, mm-hmm. where uh, I actually played, like, a moral ninja coming into a group of people who are sort of, like... Amoral. Amoral, yeah. selfish, lying, mm-hmm. you know, things like yeah. that. And uh, had, had not having explained the, the disparity in what I was playing, what everyone else was playing... Um, when when it came up to sort of a group dilemma on how we were going to handle things, he was like, this is what we should do, and everyone else was like, brah, and he's like, mm. so. Uh, real quick, uh, before we go to the next person, uh, shout out to uh, Sin Shady for the follow. Uh, really, really appreciate that. The real um, Sin Shady? And uh, Chief, we will come to your question. That's actually a good question uh, that leads into some of the others. We'll come back to it. Uh, here in a moment. Um, so Dylan, worst, worst character. Worst character, um, also a ninja. Hmm. Uh, uh, his name was uh, Loki. Um, it was in one of Robert's campaigns, actually. One of my first. Uh, your very first time DMing. Yeah. Um, I played with uh, Bjorn. Uh, his character was my character's brother. Uh, we were uh, a pair of... Uh, basically assassins for hire. Uh, I played a ninja. He played a vivisectionist alchemist. Uh, they get sneak attack. Um, 
And while he was fun and entertaining, um, he was also uh, in a position to really do everything himself, uh, mm-hmm. which he did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it's kind of started out rough because Greg and I um, uh, made the main quest giver pay us to do the quest. Uh, we started out with a really high amount and uh, expected Robert to uh, basically haggle us down, and uh, you didn't. Uh, so we kind of started the game with shitloads of money. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, New so DM. <laughs> we'd go into town, and um, he and I would go to the nicest inn, and the rest of the party would go to the shit one. Mm-hmm. And uh, without being able to coordinate with them, knowing what we had to do, we would go do it. <laughs> yeah. um, that campaign also suffered from uh, a lot of people coming in and out of the campaign, um, character changes, and so the party was really disjointed, and our two characters basically uh, went, well, they're dealing with their own stuff, we'll go ahead and go complete the quest, and uh, really didn't didn't help. Uh, Smunchy Games, thank you for the follow. Really appreciate that. Hey, Smunchy. Smunchy. Uh, we'll kick it over to uh, Mike, worst character. <laughs> so... I've never had one. No, <laughs> there are, I've had a lot. Actually, it's very difficult. Uh, I want to. Well, we're not. I'll, I'll give the honorable mention to uh, Lilith, also from that first campaign. It was a necromancer. Mm, me it was a real rough, difficult situation. Yeah, it was uh, a lot like uh, Dylan's experience, where it was when the party kind of fractured. There was Dylan and Bjorn, the rest of the party, and then the, the necromancer. Just like I'm, just gonna go do stuff. You know, raise a lot of undead, and it didn't work out well. Anyhow, honorable mention, not going to talk about that one too much. Thomas, um, a campaign that unfortunately no one here was present in. It was a one-shot campaign where it was a DM I had not really interacted with, did not know his level of, like, content difficulty, that kind of thing. And I built a very, very powerful battle mage wizard in 3-5 where both of his encounters I basically solved in a round. And I, it was one of those things where I made entirely too good of a character for the campaign. I put way too much damage on a character and it kind of made it, I'll admit at the time it was kind of fun for me, but in hindsight, it was probably sucked for the rest of the party. Mm. So that's what I would call my worst experience with the character. All right. So we're going to have one last question about characterization or characters in our games. Um, and this is actually a question that Paul uh, brought up um, when we were talking earlier, which is um, what is a character that you've played in a party with that you've really enjoyed role-playing with or being around that character um, or so admired that character? Someone else's character. Someone else's okay. character oh, that, yes, that yeah, you built yeah. off of. Um, <clears throat> if I may start, yeah, uh, I think my favorite character to play off of, and there are a lot, and it is really hard to choose, is I really think that... Um, I think that Dante actually became one of the first and foremost who was the, the the most fun to play with because he was a character that sort of could solve just about any problem in incredibly creative ways because of his like ridiculous intelligence. Like what was intelligence at the end? Uh 42? My god. This okay. is in Pathfinder. This is which in Pathfinder. doesn't have uh, so, caps. So right. like 
there's a point where we just were like, gosh, we have to keep, we have to go across the country and we've never been there. So we can't teleport. And it's like, dude, let's just build an airship. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. Sounds good. But like, aside from the utility of Dante, I think that Dante was really fun because he started as sort of like a mad scientist and eventually sort of became the group's father. Like he was one person's father specifically, but then the rest of the group, he was just kind of like cynical and reticent, but like, if you went up to him and you asked him for a favor, he would just like, okay, yeah, sure. And he would just do it, you know, and he'd just get it done and he would move on. And then like, you could always like rely on him. And it was sort of like, I feel like not what you intended, but it was a prime example of how a character can evolve. And I, and I really enjoyed that. Sin Shady, thank you for the sub. Really do appreciate that. Uh, it, it warms our hearts. Yes. Um, thank you so much. So, uh, Something that uh, Paul might have left out about Dante is that was another character that was your character in the Exile campaign. Um, so kind of a lot of these are all meshing from that campaign. And you're probably going to hear the term Exile a lot because we played that game for uh, for oh, my goddamn long time. a long time. Yeah, yeah so really I actually time. met all these guys through the um, the latest iteration of Exile, which was like what, March I'm five? sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot it, of good came was, out of that campaign, and it was a lot of struggle came out. It of that was campaign. dynamic. We it was, put yes. in so much effort into it, and while the campaign itself had flaws, we we grew and we experienced a lot. And I think that that in and of itself made it a really powerful. Campaign. And I think we all really grew as role players from it. Yeah. Absolutely, there was a lot of challenges to overcome. Um, Dylan, uh, best character play aside. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one that kind of sticks out for me, um, that's tough. Um, I felt like, I actually think that, um, Lyle in, um, The Awakening, which is a game we're currently playing, check it out. Play it every other Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, my character, Bindle, Paul's character, Lyle, uh, have a lot of similarities and some pretty stark differences. And that creates a really entertaining roleplay flow because we kind of tend to come to the same idea from different angles and play off of each other. And we've had a couple of times where we've... You, almost said the same thing, but in different ways um, and with different uh, intonations and inflections. And that really uh, is really entertaining for me um, because it's, it's uh, all, all of the characters kind of bounce off of each other and interact with each other. But some of them are just like really easily synergistic. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's one of them. I, I want to just uh, kind of touch on that too, because like Bindle is like a, like a 300 year old gnomish, barbarian and lyle is uh like an amnesiac uh, asmar who only remembers like the last three years of his life so he's really naive and it's like there you couldn't get two more opposite characters at least like uh where they're at in their fundamentals but they just you know like I said, from that they show. share the enthusiasm for life and uh a childlike wonder in spite of their vast age difference yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> indeed mike <laughs> have two we're gonna honorable mention shiv from Reinhardt. Um, <laughs> Shiv was uh, Dylan's goblin, goblin grapple rogue. rogue. Um, that um, there was no challenge too big for Shiv. Whatever it was, he would do it. It was a, a very fun character to role play with. 
Um, but I want to say probably my favorite was the interaction between Kreia and Johnny, which was uh, Josh's character in Exile. Um, the banter between the two of them would go on forever, and it was just a blast, blast to roleplay. Johnny being a gender-swapping pyromaniac, megalo- <laughs> megalomaniac. We tackled a big issue. Sorcerer. Sorcerer, sorceress, sorcerer, sorceress again. It, and, and sometimes uh, the change was forced, as in like walking into an anti-magic zone and the spell goes away and just doesn't miss a beat. Uh, for me, this is going to one of the campaigns that Mike ran, which was the, the C campaign, um, which is a campaign that was filled entirely of characters uh, who sucked at everything charisma. <laughs> Uh, hey! And uh, intelligence. And intelligence. Oh, okay. So, All bashers. Uh, the interactions with that entire party, specifically Dylan's character, Ballas, who was a, uh, pretty much a damage soak. He would take damage for other people. Um, and that was quite great for me as a, as a monk who was a glass cannon. Um, the interactions between that entire party uh, of characters just worked because there was no party face uh, at all. There was no one that knew anything. Mm. So we had to go around uh, and ask literally every question in the book to get information. Uh, I believe there was one part, uh, point where we had to do research on something. <laughs> and so uh, we asked the nearest person where uh, the nearest library was. We went into town and um, it was on a campus with five buildings. And we didn't know which one was the library. And uh, we didn't speak the language. So we basically went into each building and shouted, is this the library at people? Um, <laughs> until we found it. <laughs> of note, our wizard had a 13 intelligence. Mm, yeah. That was the highest intelligence in the party. He could only cast what? Third level spells. Third, third, level, spells. third yeah. level spells. Yeah. We um, were 14th level. Jeez. Yeah. 14th level. I didn't he, play in this campaign, so this is all new. That was, yeah. that was one of Bjorn's characters. Uh, Zeke. Yep. Uh, the, goblin Zeke, wizard. the Goblin Wizard. Uh, that was such a good character. Uh, just very dynamic. Um, Zeke um, was traveling the world when he met the party specifically to uh, tell people that goblins were not as bad as people thought they were. Hmm. And he was bringing the good word about goblin kind. Didn't work out, but uh, <laughs> it was it was quite heartwarming. Yeah, he literally died for his cause uh, multiple times. So uh, we're going to jump to some of the questions that we've seen pop up in. Uh, hey, what up, Bjorn? I see you. Uh, we're going to get to some of the questions. The first one is Sir Hodrick, who asked, uh, what's our favorite color? Uh, for me, it is blue. Uh, blue has always been my oh, favorite gosh. color. Um, <laughs> you need a minute to think? Mine's green. I've been told mine's brown since it's, my face is in the dirt unconscious so often, but uh, yeah, a little bit of shade. Savage. I appreciate I, it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go with blue as well, but uh, a light blue. A light blue. I'd say okay. black. Honestly. Very <laughs> great. All right. Uh, the next black one was from uh, from our, our good good friend and subscriber, Chief Budweiser, hyper blue? Uh, yeah. who <laughs> asked, uh, what was our favorite system? Um, he probably mm. primarily knows us from playing 5e on uh, The Awakening um, and Edge of the Empire in uh, Hunt for the Ripper. Uh, but we have played other systems like uh, Pathfinder. Um, I think some people have played Shadowrun before and 3.5. Um, so for me... Uh, World of Darkness. World of Darkness. Uh, 
For me, my favorite uh, is going to be 5e. Um, I really am a big fan of its simplicity. Uh, we're not there's not a, a bunch of numbers to crunch, um, so that's my favorite. Uh, everything has its strengths and everything has its weaknesses as far as game systems go. If I had to choose my favorite, I would have to say Pathfinder uh, ends up being at the top of the list only because of the amount of customization you can put into your characters. Uh, just, and I'm not even talking about like in a power build way, which is the the um, probably the biggest drawback that Pathfinder has is you can make some pretty ridiculous things in there but sometimes you just get a hankering to play I just want to play this and then you look at the classes available to you and you start mashing things up and suddenly you're playing something that probably no one else in the world has ever played just because you mixed and matched um, I think Edge of the Empire really satisfies something for me uh, as far as a Star Wars fan um, love my Jedis I would have to say that that comes in a, sh uh, a short second place for me I would uh, put Fantasy Flight's Star Wars system at the top for me. Um, it's a tough question um, because I've had the most fun in, in Pathfinder simply because I've played it the longest. But uh, Fantasy Flight's Star Wars system has the simplicity with the game moving really quickly, narrative-based, a lot of uh, fun narrative elements in it, and also has the ability um, mechanically for people to build interesting things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i think the only drawback to 5e as far as i've really experienced in my short time in it has been that you can't really do anything too interesting or crazy with the characters um it's it's a worthwhile drawback because the game plays really really nicely and um you don't have to put too much effort into it uh without breaking stuff and things like that yeah. um but i would i would put Edge of the Empire, Force and Destiny, Age of Rebellion up there yeah. as my top. The I've noticed that in 5th edition there's like a rule of threes. You can pick from three fighting styles usually. You can pick from three paths, three archetypes, you know, and, and, you, and you can mix and match some of those, but there's only so many combinations yeah. that can end up with. Mike? Uh, boat D&D. Um, as Bjorn mentioned in chat, um, that's uh, basically shortly after Bjorn and I started playing D&D, uh, we would go on like family camping trips and we'd just, you know, go out in the boat and uh, we wouldn't have dice. We wouldn't have rules. We would just, you know, tell stories where one of us was kind of in charge of the story. Uh, but if we're doing an actual system, um, if 3.5 and Pathfinder had a brainchild, it would be that because 3.5 just has so much content to pick from, but Pathfinder is much more balanced. So. Yeah. Oh, I all right. Uh, we have a question specifically for Dylan that just came in here. Huh? Uh, which campaign are you enjoying more um, of the two? God damn. How dare you put him um, on the spot get, get like dare that? You. <laughs> um, I'm going to say... Ooh, no, no, no. No. We won't get into that one. <laughs> Who's the better no. GM? Uh, very, clear, very clearly the better GM is Paul. Uh, he, he plans a lot more. Uh, I, I would say uh, probably I would, I'm going to give it to the Awakening just because uh, it's uh, fantasy. We all have our wheelhouses. Um, we're going to come back really to like this uh, the question that just popped up here. Uh, we'll come back to that. Um, the next question kind of tails off of the um, 
which system do you prefer? What's your, your, your favorite? Um, and that is if you could take one thing from a system and transfer it to another system, what would that thing be? So it, from the sounds of it, a lot of you guys would like to have the options of Pathfinder available in fifth. Uh, what's one mechanical element that you would take? What if the numerical values don't match up? Like, what if it's um, something that is designed for one system and only function that system, but you would love to see that in another one? That would, that would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Put it out there. I would say uh, the Jedi class. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You just want you just, just want to just want to play a Jedi in any system. Like, no, no. <laughs> I would say that you probably hit the nail on the head, though. Is I'd really like to see the Pathfinder's level of customization inside Five E. I kind of agree. I would like to see 5e have more things, um, which it will as time goes on. I know Xanathar's Guide to Everything is, is coming out later in the year. November. And uh, things like that. Please but, show some paladins. Um, I feel like I, I almost don't want to wish that on it like too quickly because I feel like it'll just ruin it if it has too much things in it. Um, but... Uh, yeah. Mike, do you have any thoughts? Because I have a thought, if you need more time. Go ahead. Uh, mine is the destiny point system. Uh, oh, man. If that could be transferred over to every system that I've ever played, that'd be great. Because it makes so much sense narratively to make a bad guy more difficult to remember the grappling hook that you guys forgot to buy in town. Uh, it's just a great system that works on both sides of the table. Um, and it adds interesting balance and flair to the game that otherwise wouldn't exist. Um, so that's what I would pick. And there, kind of an unusual ebb and flow, too. Yeah. There have been a lot of times when we've been sitting down with 5th edition and we're like, gosh, darn it, I really wish I could just tweak this narrative. Where's the Destiny pool, you know? And yeah. we just don't have it available because... Yeah. When someone, like, dies in an inconvenient place and we don't have a, a shovel to bury them, mm-hmm. um, just, like, rude... <laughs> There's <laughs> that happens. There's a lot of times when the party is like they have their prep time for a mission and then they like go on a mission and then they're like after they immediately go on the mission they're like so uh everyone did this 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 this, this before we departed right and everyone's like no. No. You didn't. I'm just like, well, you're already gone. So did you think of something Mike? Yes. Um 3 fives PowerPoint systems for psionics. Gonna go way out there, uh, but um, it's over my head. I, I liked the idea of essentially wizards, except you just more or less scrunch all of their spells into a pool of points, and you can just use those points to cast whatever's on your spell list. Mm. So you could cast all your high level spells uh, more often than a wizard could cast their highest level spell, mm. but you'd run out of points real fast, kind of thing. So I liked the flexibility. I liked the psionic abilities that were in there. Um, I would take that psion everywhere. I uh, just a quick interjection as far as taking like one class and like bumping it over to another system. Besides Jedi, besides Jedi, <laughs> uh, would be three point five Warlock into yes. uh, into Pathfinder or even Fifth Edition because like the Warlock was designed in a really interesting way in three point five. And then when they jumped over, it was basically like an entirely different culture, and it was just not the same. I, I totally miss it. All right. Uh, we're going to go to uh, Anouk418's uh, question. 
which is how did everyone get into role play? Um, I think we will start with Mike, who has been playing the longest out of all of us. So, Mike, what was your first experience with uh, role playing? Um, I blame Nick. Um, Exile Mark One. Uh, this would have been, I think, late middle school or early high school, um, in Bjorn's dining room with lots of pizza boxes and soda and towers of said pizza boxes and soda. <laughs> and I played a ranger, and he was really bad at his archery until he broke his arm. <laughs> so sure there's a story to that. Uh, there is. <laughs> and then uh, let's go to Paul next, because Dylan and I are fairly similar on the timeline. So, Paul, mm. I know that you've played, uh, you played some role-playing games before you joined our group. Yeah, my earliest expedition to it was probably 3.5. Um, I had some friends in high school. Um, I played the, the group evolved over time, but I started as actually a, uh, an elven wizard in a campaign. And while the campaign was fun and it, you know, I was all starry-eyed, thinking back, there wasn't, like, something about it that really stuck out. It was just kind of my first game. Uh, the most unusual thing is I played a, like, 13 charisma wizard. So, like, there was, there was no reason to put points into charisma. Yet every single NPC found him attractive by the DM standard. So, like, the DM oh. was like... Oh, so you walk into this room and everyone's like, "Whoa, whistles and stuff like that. I'm like, oh bro, 13 charisma, what is this? And I learned that, I guess, beauty and charisma aren't the same thing. And it was like a curse, though. So, like, monsters always aimed for him or tracked him down or anything like that. He always got stuck in, like, the drider's web and the drider was like, ooh, look what I caught. And it was just, like, bad luck via beauty. So like I read that Goosebumps novel. <laughs> Uh, Dylan? Uh, so I played a couple of times in 3.5, sort of, uh, with Mike, uh, camping and, and whatnot, um, just kind of thrall. Yeah, off the top of his head, um, which I'm sure was quite accurate. Um, <laughs> I played a uh, half-orc barbarian who just smashed people and was an idiot. Uh, always good. Um, I played a ranger for a little while, um, but I really got into it later on, maybe seven, six, seven years ago, um, when uh, Robert and I um, started playing uh, with the group. I want to say it was around the time when Pathfinder came out. It was. And Mike had picked up the core rulebook. Um, because I don't even know the story behind why he picked it up. Dave, Dave, uh, Dave liked it because it was uh, three five, but a little bit more simplified. But yeah, but balanced. Balanced. Uh, <laughs> I'd say they probably because they buffed the paladins. You don't know. Um, and the rangers. So we joined a campaign um, that Mike was running to learn the system, um, and that's really how I got into it. Yeah. Um, growing we up, played what was basically a half and half. Pathfinder 3.5 because we assumed the rules were the same on a lot of <laughs> occasions and they were slowly not. over time figured out that they weren't. Uh, one of the, things, the worst things that I've experienced is playing Pathfinder with experienced 3.5 players because there are rules that do not match up and the arguments that come from them 
uh, mm. can really derail games. Uh, but even before playing before playing Pathfinder in Mike's game, um, like growing up, me and my friends would always pretend like we were like Han Solo or whatever and like act out that type of thing. So as I grew in my teens, like that part of my life went away and it, I shifted more towards video games and stuff. Um, and then realizing that D&D existed and it was an outlet for that type of creativity and role play um, was was what drew me to it. Mm. Um, it was kind of a no-brainer. Uh, you guys were actually talking about playing Pathfinder at our old house. And I was like, oh, tell me more about that. Like, what's going on? And I was like, hey, Mike, that sounds cool. Can you help me build a character? And he was like, what do you want to play? And I was like, I don't know, like a ninja or something. And I, I built a monk that was a gnome, and he was a god-awful. You multiclassed him with druid. <laughs> <laughs> in my defense, there are story reasons why that made sense. Okay, sure. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's an easy and that's an easy out. Yeah. I will never criticize someone who makes a bad mechanical character and says, "But story." And I'm like, "Okay, mm. you can have that. You can have that." Um, I feel like I have missed uh, a couple questions that have come up. Um, the one that I just saw though was from uh, new subscriber uh, Sin Shady. Who asked, since Gen Con 50 just ended, uh, Gen Con is actually something that I would like to go to next year. Mm. Uh, they asked, uh, what is our most legendary con moment? Um, uh, for those who don't know, uh, PAX is this weekend. Uh, Nick and myself will be there all four days, um, and the majority of the group will be there on Monday. I don't think Mike's going for any uh, any of the really? days due to, due to work, um, but we'll be there. So if you see us, say hi. Um, but most legendary con moment... Um, that's a that's a tough one because we kind of when we're at cons we're we're in panels because um, I think our biggest con experience is going to be packs um, in panels um, like the most memorable con moment I don't know if it's legendary per se uh, but we went to this uh, ask the the GM uh, panel and it was pretty much everyone I think Sans Paul maybe you were there I don't remember no I think. It, this was pre-Paul. It was pre-Paul. Pre everybody that... There's a pre-Paul era. Yeah. Uh, everybody that was playing in Exile went to this Ask the GM panel with with the GM. So we're all sitting in a row, and they are describing things to avoid in your home games. Things like too many players uh, in a game. Uh, that campaign started with 13 players and one GM. <laughs> Uh, they're discussing things like characters with polar opposite moralities in the same party. Uh, which we, was in that campaign. Which was in that campaign. So Every time they bring something up, we turn and look at that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we look down the line at Nick like, hey, maybe that's why things feel like pulling teeth at times mm -hmm. and are awesome at others. Um, so that was probably the most memorable con moment is just all of us in that, uh, in that panel realizing things that are probably hurting our game. Um, our, our role play group is actually pretty huge. We don't have the problem where uh, a lot of groups have is they don't have enough players. Um, I read about it on Twitter all the time. Um, there are multiple websites that are about finding other players. Our group is so big that we have to go to make streaming D and D work. We have to go. I can only have five players at the table. Mm -hmm. Um, and I need those five to all be able to role play well together 
and not have any issues outside the table or at the table, whatever. Do your work schedules match up? Do your personalities <laughs> yeah. match up? Do you, you know? Yeah. So uh, we're actually a really unique role play group as a whole because we have so many, so many players uh, to try and get games with. Uh, say currently we're at like 13. Yeah, I think we have we have 13 and it's been more uh, yeah. before that. Um, the end result of that is I play in like four or five different campaigns. I am currently active in four. I think I'm active in four, DMing two of them. Yeah. And three I'm, different systems. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it fun. <laughs> um, but to go back to the question at hand, uh, as far as <laughs> cons go... I have the worst luck with cons. I get injured. Um, <laughs> I get I I get abused by friends. It's okay. I just historically cons just just do not work out for me. I, I have to say that if I had to pick a legendary moment, would be one time that I went with a group of friends who uh, I knew a couple of them, and then they knew a whole bunch of them, and so I was kind of again the odd man out, which is pretty uh, usual for me. Everyone was cosplaying. Literally, each one of them had a costume, and I was the only one walking amongst this group of people who were all from the same show, all the same canon, all the same, like, cast, and it was just me. And so they dressed me up in one of their spare costumes of a character I had no idea who they were, how to act, anything. I was just a dude dressed up as another dude. And uh, so people would, like, walk up to me like, oh, my gosh, you're playing this character, and they're, they're, you know, cosplaying this character, and they would, like, want pictures, and I'd be like, cool. And they're like, well, do the pose, and I was like... Which pose? And so I actually dab and like. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have like people walk up to me. It's like, okay, stand here, turn here, do this, put your hand up here, go like that, do this thing, and do over that. And it was just kind of like, oh, uh, sure. And I just let people model me for photos. Was it like some really demonstrative anime character or something? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. A, it was like a psychotic priest. So like, it was. I had no idea what he was about. So, uh, chief just asked a question, uh, which was. Would any of you uh, DM a campaign uh, on a site like Roll Roll Twenty uh, versus around the table? I've done that uh, a couple times. Uh, not not. I'm sorry. Let me let me, let me clarify. Not DM. I've played in a Roll Twenty uh, before. It it's interesting. Um, I'm not sure if it's something that I would do. I've never done it. Um, I know that for me personally, when I'm at the table, um, I have a big problem. Uh, maintaining focus, especially if there are other things around. Um, things like people getting up from the table distracts me from what's happening. Um, if my character isn't somewhat involved or I view whatever the other character is doing is not uh, entertaining enough, I'll find myself on my phone, and that's just me as a person. And I think if I was to DM from a computer, I would find myself you know, checking Facebook, checking Twitter too much, um, and not staying on task and just really deteriorating the game. Um, so I really think that being around the table is what's best for me as a uh, as a DM and as a player. Uh, so probably not, um, although it's something that I, I've thought about before. Um, my only roleplay experience is pretty much with the people around this table, and I've always kind of wondered what it'd be like um, to play with somebody outside the group um, um, and see what that was like. Um, see the drawbacks, the um, what I could learn from that experience. Um, I feel like it's for me almost weirdly personal. Like I feel almost weird about playing with other people. Mm-hmm. This is like I know everyone around the table. 
when uh, in, in all of my experience playing, uh, pretty much. Uh, there's been a few new faces here and there. Um, but I'm not going to lie, just to piggyback off of that, it was really weird to roleplay with Paul at first. I yes. was, yeah. It was like, who is this new person? Mm-hmm. I don't know them. It was the odd man out for a long time. And we credit Greg for having him here. Yes. Greg is Among like us. a uh, Greg is like a social butterfly where he walks into a room and he's pretty much instantly friends with everybody. Um, you can see that just watching his, his Twitch stream. I mean, he, uh, he, he doesn't put on a face when he's streaming. He's the same. No, dude. that's that's how Bjorn is. Yeah. He, he kind of left an impression because he walked into where I was working one day and he's like, hey, I'm just going to use your printer real quick. I'm like, who are you? And I'm like, oh, I know the person working here. I was like, oh, okay, sounds good. What do you What do you need? Oh, like 250 character sheets from Pathfinder. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we should talk. <laughs> um, so that's a great question. Thanks for that, uh, that question there, um, Chief. Uh, let's see here. Uh, one of the other questions we had talked about uh, bringing up um, is um, when you're starting a campaign, uh, what level do you prefer to start at? Do you, uh, a low level start, so your uh, NPC levels I've heard have happened, first level campaigns, um, or do you pr- prefer to start at third level or fifth level um, where you have some abilities under your character's belt um, and that type of thing? Um, we, we've actually talked about this before, mm-hmm. and I'm interested to see how we fit this into less than, like, three-hour discussion. <laughs> uh, I feel like uh, it's really important to know what kind of story you're telling um, when you choose the starting level um, and to have a reason for why you're beginning at that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, I really like a three to seven uh, start, like a fifth level start, and the characters are kind of established and you can throw some little bit more difficult and interesting encounters at them. Um, I, I like the idea of a motley crew of people that are all the best at what they do or really good at it and trying to work together to complete a common goal. I started several games at first level, and I gotta say at this point, fighting like wolves and bandits uh, on the way to deliver something is, is getting old. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I have uh, been in games where it's worked out really well. In fact, Mike and I were in a, a campaign um, maybe a year ago. God, has it been that long? A uh, year and a half, right. two years, yeah. Um, where we actually started with NPC levels. Um, we were townsfolk, and uh, when the city got attacked and the people who would normally protect it, were not able to do so, or were tied up, then we had to step up and kind of earn our heroism through that, and it worked out really well, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and I've also started at higher levels uh, a couple of times before, so I think the sweet spot for me is is fifth, uh, fifth level. Uh, but yeah, um, I'm I'm on the same the same uh, train of thought as Dylan. Um, for me, um, I think somewhere between third and fifth. Depending on the system, um, I you you get different things at different levels, obviously, um, and that plays a big part in who your character is. Um, for the most part, I think we have really solid ideas of like what our build is or who our character is going into the games. So I think really, if you're starting at if you're starting at first level, um, that's best for a situation where um, you have a character that has a backstory. Um, that is a lot less on the adventure side of things and more along the 
I was a blacksmith in town, and then X happened, and I started learning to fight. Kind of, kind of the Fire Nation attack. Yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of. So I picked up my hammer. And... Yeah, exactly that type of storytelling. But I think for for our group specifically, being as experienced as we are, um, it can be like trudging through mud uh, if the characters aren't powerful enough. Um, going through the same tropes, especially at campaign start. Everybody's in a tavern. They meet. Uh, somebody gives them a quest. That's happened numerous times. Um, I think that really changes the dynamic of the game when the characters are more experienced and the, the introduction to the, the campaign or the general story arc um, is different. And I think as a, uh, as a game master, that's a difficult thing. Um, you either have to pull the characters in a extremely unique way, acknowledge the trope and work with it, um, or you have to, um, what was it? Acknowledge trope, uh, think of a new way, or the party has to know each other going into it. They have to already have worked together. Um, so I think starting at a mid-level, um, you're able to work all three of those options better than just at first level. That, and I think, like Dylan said, the players get bored when they fight goblins all the time. Especially if you're like me in... Uh, Pathfinder and um, Edge of the Empire and games like that when I pretty much know where the character build-wise is going and if I have a goal in mind where, boy, when I get to 7th level I'm going to be able to do this really cool, fun thing. If I start at first and just have to march forward looking at that level, it's uh, dragging. Uh, Yeah, it's a grind. Um, I'm going to piggyback off of Dylan. Um, I think campaigns that have something in mind for level one, like the starting as NPC, stepping up, that I would admit as a starting of a campaign has probably been my favorite start ever. I'll, get, I'll throw credit to uh, Dave on that one. Is That was probably the toughest, coolest, most rewarding like character start ever. Um, so stuff like that. Definitely a reason to start low, but I'm like Dylan. Um, while fifth doesn't, I don't need to build, have a character build out to 20 and fifth because there's not a lot you can do. Yep. Pick a class, pick an archetype, and all right, there you go. Leveling um, takes two minutes. Mm-hmm. It sucks. Sorry, uh, I digress. Um, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a lot like Dylan where I build kind of weird things a lot of times, um, and I want, you know, my weird stuff comes together at 7th level or ninth level. And, oh, well, I'm starting at 1st level. Well, let's be honest. I'm probably not going to get to 7th level in this campaign. So it's one of those things. I like the I like to start because it lets you have a little bit more, in my mind, creativity with your backstory. Because I have a hard time writing this really cool backstory how my character, you know, saved this town as a level 1 fighter. Um, But if I have, you know, five levels under my belt, okay, that's a little bit more reasonable. I can do a couple more of these things in my backstory before I'm at the party or whatnot, Mm -hmm. where I can be kind of my own person, and then I'm also a member of this party. So I like the the later start, but definitely low-level start has its place, and low-level start is great for, I saw one question here about new characters, low-level is great for new characters, or new players, I should say. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that and discuss it in a bit more detail. Uh, Paul, your thoughts on uh, level starts? I think that 
there's a lot of people have said a lot of things, and I'm like, yep, 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 yep. Uh, I think if I had to add something to that, it's that the narrative is what really drives what the starting level should be. So if you're going to start at level three or level five, your characters are, per the rules at least, above the norm. So you are specialists, you know what you're doing, you have confidence in yourself, at least you have reason to have confidence in yourself. Um, you can choose how to play your character however you want. Um, and that is where this sort of quintessential adventure mentality comes in, where you're going to go out and spelunk this cave, spelunk this cave. you're going to go out here and slay this monster, you're going to go do this, you're going to go do that. Why are you going to go do that? Oh, it's because you know how to handle yourself. If you start at level one, you're just like everybody else, you're just like every other um, town guard. You, you, you deal with the same stuff. And that's to be expected uh, of that level. So if you want to start a campaign where you're just a soldier and you rise above that, and it's really based on how the story is being told, low level's great. Level one, go out there, have your fun, dig through the grass, kill the bunnies, you know, do, do all the, the low level stuff. Level three and five is where if you want to play somebody who knows his stuff, that's a good way to start. Um, so going back to uh, Anouk's question, which is uh, tips for, for new players. Um, I'm assuming that this is like you have a play group. Um, everyone's relatively new. The DM probably has owned the, the core rulebook or the player's handbook for a while, has read through it, knows it uh, pretty well. Uh, but you guys as a play group are just starting. Um, the first piece of advice that I would have is know your character you don't need to know all the rules um usually that's the dungeon master or the the game master handles that um couch surfer connect thank you for being hello charismatic and following Thank you. Um, we really appreciate that um surf that but, in couch uh the game can be really 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 overwhelming if you try and learn every mechanic uh everything uh, that goes into the game. And this is true of every game. Yeah. Uh, stealth rolls. Uh, what does that mean? All this kind of stuff. How do uh, I do this? You know, like... But if you just focus in on your character, I'm going to play a monk. What does that mean? Know your actions. Know what you can do with your character. And just just pigeonhole. Just mm -hmm. know, know that. And if you don't know something when it comes to do it, like, how do I grapple? What are the rules behind grappling? Um, first of all, don't play Pathfinder. You gotta yeah, bring up <laughs> no, don't play three five. Yeah. Uh, so, um, just keep it simple and keep it based on your character. Uh, that that's the first piece of advice that I have. Um, I don't want to take everything. So, uh, somebody else want to interject? I, like, I want to choke this guy. How many rounds does it take for him to run out of breath? Twenty three. <laughs> oh. Um, there's a lot uh, to go through. As far as advice for starting, uh, I think though, if I had to say one though, come back to me actually. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say uh, the first place to start is with your character. Um, oh, doubling yes. down on what Robert said, um, know who they are, what their personality is like, what their goals are, what flaws they have. Um, if, as long as you are able to really get into your character's headspace and roleplay it, everything else is kind of, like, helpful but not important. If you if you can really roleplay your character really well, the rest of it kind of comes together. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, it's a really good advice to not worry about the entire core rulebook and just worry about the mechanics that you're going to be using. And um, you can figure it out later when it when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I I like to do is I kind of imagine my character in various situations. So I'm throwing lots of stuff at it, and it kind of shapes it for me. Um, and uh, the flip side of that is I would say don't worry about being done with your character when you start playing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I Pretty much every single one of my characters, I have a, a good idea of where the character's going, and then it kind of takes a turn as soon as I start playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost takes a takes on a life of its own. Um, I've had a, some characters make some pretty drastic changes uh, just because it, it, it was what it was. Um, so that that's that's the advice that I would give. Uh, I remembered what I was going to say. Sorry if you were going to go. But when starting a new campaign, starting a new character, starting a group, regardless of your experience levels, one of the core things to making a campaign run smoothly is establish why your character is participating in the quest. Just have a reason to go on the quest because there's nothing I think that drains a campaign than having to convince a player character to go on the quest that has already started. Mm -hmm. If they are generating reasons not to go, that is a blow to enthusiasm every single time. And I think there's something cute about having a character that maybe is sort of the black sheep or sort of complains a lot or, you know, is very cowardly or something like that. Something that, that narratively might detract from it, but you're doing that to be cute with the intention of that. The quest is still going to get done at some point. Mm -hmm. You're all going to go. I had a campaign where there was a pirate character in it, and the only thing the pirate wanted to do was to get to the shore and sail a boat out into the water, and then leave the leave the campaign behind. And it killed that session. It killed that game. So, have a reason, motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's going to be a little more complicated of a topic. Sure, um, yeah. it's this big black sheep of a word in when it comes to role playing called meta. Yes, mm-hmm. um, meta is. To a very, very quick rundown, meta is character knowledge versus player knowledge. Varys, the wizard, the elven wizard, knows, well, should know basically nothing about dragons. They have not been around for 500 years, just to get our awakening. Yep. Um, whereas Mike, the player, has read every bestiary that's come out. Um, They're called monster manuals. Um, so splitting those two knowledge is generally what meta is not letting your player knowledge bleed too much into your character now the important thing about meta for a new character is a certain amount of meta is required on the player's aspect to make the game function there are anywhere from three to in some cases 12 other people at the table with you don't play um, with 12. Please don't, don't play with 12. Um, <laughs> it wasn't worth it. The perfect number is five. Yeah. Uh, Four to five. That's a question we'll get into later. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, personalities will conflict or conflict, and things won't go quite smoothly all the time. The idea is to use your player knowledge to help make your character fit. You may not want to go down the deep, dark, scary dungeon. 
but find as a player find a reason that your character wants to continue doing your trip so kind mm-hmm. of piggybacking off ball a little bit yeah make even if it doesn't fit exactly what your you had in mind for your character bend some rules a little bit to make sure your character can continue and functions in this group uh, uh, I was just say, and to, to, to further one of the points, uh, you mentioned meta, and as far as like um, character knowledge, uh, player knowledge, things like that. There's also a certain amount of meta separation that goes into place as far as um, like reactionary to certain things. Like some, your character might be upset, or your character might be insulted, or you know, your character might be in pain or suffer a setback or things like that. And sometimes the 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 it's an NPC that the DM made, or sometimes it's a player that you're playing with, um, character who did that to your character. It's very important, especially if you're just starting off in role play, is to absolutely compartmentalize your character from the rest of life. And that can be really hard, and it can be really frustrating. But if someone walks up to you in your group and steals your wallet, and ha ha ha, they're playing a practical joke on you. As a person, you have to learn to separate yourself from what happened to your character. And I think that's a very advanced thing to learn because it takes time, but it's very important to enjoyment of the game. Um, one, I guess, a capstone to that. Um, the, the, to one up each other. The, the, the key to playing Dungeons & Dragons is to have fun. That's why everyone's around the table, and that needs to be at the forefront of everyone's mind. It's not to win. Um, it's not to build the best character unless you are deciding ahead of time <laughs> that you are doing this in a one-upsman type event. Um, I know that actually there is a... Guys, uh, I just really want to try this build. A Please podcast that the, the One-Shot Podcast Network is doing is called Dungeon Dome, where they put characters together um, that are fighting beasts, and the purpose is to find who is the best champion. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool concept, um, but that's not that's uh, not what games are. Um, a key is communication. Uh, when your your DM is setting up the game, things to them now. <laughs> when the DM is setting up the game, you guys should be having conversations around the time that you're doing character generation of what everyone expects from this game. What are we looking for? Are we looking for a super serious campaign, or are we looking for something that's going to be somewhat serious? But you're also going to have NPCs named Scott that don't know what to do with their hands. Yeah. Um, the more boundaries and expectations you set before the game, the more fun you're going to have during the game and the less uh, conflict you're going to have around the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you, a, lot of, a lot of times the number one thing is, uh, that comes up is party versus party uh, combat. Conflict. Ooh, conflict. Conflict. Do we allow that? Do we not? Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes back to the whole meta thing, is, is we're establishing a boundary. Yep. Um, and that's actually going to be our segue to our next topic, is going to be... Um, our experience with conflict in roleplay. We've played in some games where there have been very serious issues that have come up in character. We've also had those situations bleed over out of character. Mm. Um, We've had some intense, intense conversations where in character uh, we're yelling at each other. Um, Where uh, in character, Savian uh, is super upset um, with, uh, I think at the time it was Greg's character, um, who I cannot remember the name of, Cornelius. Cornelius. Uh, mm-hmm. 
our, we were in a tense argument, and after the session, we literally hugged and said that role play was freaking awesome. Um, but that's a very fine line. Um, so we're going to we'll throw it to uh, Dylan first uh, about a time where uh, conflict arose in, the, in our game and um, how we, we solved it or got around the issue. Um, so a time when we had in-character conflict that was handled well and didn't become out-of-character conflict, uh, a good one is uh, in, in Exile, in one of the run-throughs, uh, Mike's character, Kreia, um, was an elven wizard. Uh, librarian and uh, we had another character that was a uh, elven town guard that had joined us and in that world there was a basically a human dictatorship and uh, everyone that wasn't human uh, dwarf or elven was exiled and the dwarves or elves were considered second class citizens and uh, in the Conquering War, there was one city that really fought back, one elven city that fought back a lot, and they had the worst sanctions and conditions out of all of them. The party was approached about saving the town, basically overthrowing the, the people that were there and, and rescuing the, the inhabitants. And uh, the two elves got into a massive argument over whether or not we should do it. Kreia felt that if we did it, uh, the retribution from the crown would be swift and horrific, and while things weren't good, they were getting better, and uh, to just see it through for the long haul, and our elven guard felt that it wasn't good enough, and things had to change now, and the discussion involved a couple other players, but mostly it was just the two of them, and went on for a really long time and got pretty heated uh, in character, but um, didn't didn't spill out, uh, which is the the way that you want it to go. Yeah, uh, sometimes it's tough and you really got to keep in mind that the person that's pissing you off is fictional, um, <laughs> which is sometimes difficult, yeah. uh, especially if you have a history with a, another role player. Um, anecdotally, the we ended up doing it. Uh, the person who was basically the party lead was a half-red dragon and they offered us money to do it. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's that's an example of things going well. Uh, uh, did you have something? I, I have a challenge coming up with conflicts that were resolved well. <laughs> have one that would yeah. resolve poorly? And, yes. So, and what could have gone better? Uh, a perfect example uh, of a situation that I think was a missed opportunity was going back to when I said one of my favorite characters I played was uh, Alatron, the... Al the uh, Samurai Sword Saint. Uh, a new character was being introduced, and I had to establish what my character was going to be to a certain extent. Like mm -hmm. I, we'd only been there for a session or two, I think, at this point. So he hasn't really like developed or or been exposed to the party for very long. And another person was coming in, and there was some descriptions of this character and how they were acting and all that stuff. And um, my character uh, got defensive. And that character was was coming in defensive as well. And they hit one another in a way that I didn't know what this person was playing. This person didn't know what I was playing. And we were 
immediately there was just friction between the two characters because new, no one understood uh, the motivations behind why people were acting a certain way or anything like that. And it, uh, it escalated far further than it should have. Um, people were upset. People were, um, uh, I would say, seeing negativity where there wasn't, and it just spiraled out of control. And I think that that is something that could have easily been avoided by just having a sit down before the session and say, this is my character. Mm-hmm. This is what his goals are. This is how he generally reacts to certain things. Uh, I want you to know that in the event that this happens, this is a flaw of my character. And so he is ready to take yeah. the, this step or this action, mm-hmm. or this is what I have him currently under the misconception of. And so on and so forth. And if we had just established that before we gone in, um, because especially one of the things that that exacerbated the situation was the player that I was playing off of doesn't like player conflict whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And that just threw fuel on the fire. And I didn't know that, but I could have if I had sat down and got to know the person. And And that actually goes back to uh, the advice for new players. Mm -hmm. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Set expectations ahead of time saves you a lot of trouble. Exactly. It really does. And if we we had done that better um, at that point, we could have avoided that whole situation. Yeah, I completely Uh, admit that. We're uh, running close to our time um, that we had set before. Um, so we're going to go one last question, uh, then we're going to wrap up, and we're going to go raid uh, Bjorn's stream um, is the plan there. Oh, geez. <laughs> uh, so going to get to Chief's question? Uh, which question? Favorite character death, or did you have one in mind? Uh, that was, uh, that was Sin, Sin Shady's. Oh, which that is, was Sin Shady. Yes, which is the question From that we are going to do. Sin Shady. Um, yeah. I am going to start off. My favorite character death is actually not my own. Um, it is from... Uh, the first time that I played in Exile. When you've had so many, yeah. how can you choose? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my characters die a lot, uh, usually when Mike's the DM. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's actually Bjorn's character, Brace. Um, oh, oh, that's your favorite? Oh, man, that's <laughs> oh, oh, oh. tragic death. So uh, Brace was a, was he diminutive or was he tiny? He was... He was small, but, but he, he could went become to, tiny. Yes. Uh, so he was tiny when we were attacked by Drow. Um, and he was generally, his big character flaw was he was fearful of, of everything. Uh, specifically in this instance, uh, the combat wasn't going well. He had been shot. He had been poisoned. An important note is that he was a stealth specialist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, almost impossible to find. Um, so he, he had been poisoned. He was tiny, and he had stealth to survive the combat. Uh, the unfortunate drawback for Brace uh, is that he kept failing saves. Um, <laughs> and he died while stealthed, and the party could not find him. Um, yeah. So He was just gone. Uh, that is the most tragic way I've ever seen a character die. Um, and that, that is... It's so sad. It is so, so sad. sad. Um because he was just hiding. He was just hiding somewhere, slowly dying of poison. We looked for him and everywhere, but we could not find him. Um, out of character uh, at that time, um, or I guess in the game, uh, my bard had an item that he borrowed from Brace, uh, which was his uh, Ring of Featherfall. They had borrowed because there was they were up in a city in the trees and they had to escape. Yeah, uh, you know, that's how uh, shit goes. That's how stuff goes. Um, so actually, throughout that campaign, um, I kept that item. 
that character died and my character later found the same item. Um, and I kind of meted it a little bit to get braced to the finish line. Um, and I carried that ring of feather fall until we finished that campaign. Um, so that was, uh, that's the most memorable death. Uh, maybe not favorite. Also, but... I should, it should be mentioned. Uh, that was one of Bjorn's characters and he was laughing his ass off as we were trying to, to find him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mike, do you have a favorite character death? Um, Maybe not a favorite death, but there's currently a competition going. Um, <laughs> in, uh, it's, it's, it's like potential campaign, um, Tavik here. Um, he was the uh, the glass cannon monk that we were referencing earlier. He had a lot of deaths. I don't know where we ended up. It was four or five, I think. It was four or five. Um, yeah. And there's currently a competition between that character, t- total character death, single mm. character dying, uh, versus... Myself in one of our off-stream campaigns, where I have now died twice. Twice, twice. Um, so I am kind of squishy in that campaign. I like to take risks I shouldn't, and it uh, there's this kind of joke where uh, I wonder if I will surpass the uh, death tally of uh, Tavik. I won't let it happen. So. Robert's also in that campaign, <laughs> and he almost only heals Mike's character. <laughs> yeah. Other of you. Um, I don't really actually have that many player deaths as far as like things that I can go back to. Um, player deaths, my god. Yeah, or player deaths. <laughs> Play, character, <laughs> player character deaths, I'm sorry. Because yeah. um, I only have really experience with you guys through one campaign on, and I feel like we haven't really died that much uh, as far as, as a group. Um, one hey, thing, thanks for the bits. The thing that probably sticks out about deaths in general, if I can sort of peel away from the, the, the entire the core concept of the question and sort of branch off of it. I think one of my favorite things about dying in the group that I've played with is probably in exile when a character would die. And um, there's a concept of you can resurrect a character. And if you have a high enough level of form of resurrection, you don't need the full body to resurrect them. And so we had a character who was, sort of our go-to as far as getting people resurrected and he would go through and like if you died and he's like well i can't res you right now he would like clip off one of your toes and he would like have a collection of body parts at any one time in the event that someone needed to be resurrected and the body wasn't recoverable so i thought that was yeah that's uh, as close as you're gonna get to a character death yeah uh no uh I'm going to throw out an honorable mention to one of my characters, Miro Kendricks, the halfling howitzer. Uh, he uh, was a halfling and uh, wielded a giant goddamn gun that blasted him on his on his butt every time. Um, it was a uh, hilarious build. Um, Mike killed him. Not one of Mike's character. Mike did it, uh, the DM. Um, we uh, had discovered a um, sphere of annihilation. Which basically kills anything it touches. And there's only one way to really get rid of it. And um, the Archmage um, in this low magic world uh, had a rod of cancellation. And if you know anything about the game, you know that's not the way. Um, But he did it anyway. And uh, there was a massive explosion. And my character got 100 to (laughs) 0 instantly. And Mike felt so bad one of the NPCs rose me. but that was funny. Um, <laughs> the my favorite character death is actually not one of my own. It's again one of Bjorn's. <laughs> Go figure. Yep. Um, 
Uh, Zeke, who we mentioned earlier, the That's goblin. It's really confusing. Um, he, uh, in the campaign, we had encountered a lot of demigods. Mm-hmm. And um, in the final battle, we were fighting. And um, we were not doing very well. And Zeke was utterly useless, being a wizard with 13 in, um, at 14th level. And he couldn't do anything. And he had something of a relationship with the god of death, demigod of death, whatever, um, because they had uh, met before. And um, he was one of the only followers of that god. And so Zeke, uh, realizing he couldn't help the party win, thought maybe this demigod could. And so he jumped off the platform we were on into the water and just took a big old lungful of air. And on water his air water, 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 big old water. lungful of water. Um, <laughs> I'm not used to saying it that way. Uh, and <laughs> basically on his pass through the veil to the afterlife said, hey, we could really use your help with this one. And uh, he did help us. We were victorious in the end. Um, but yeah. we, we wouldn't have been without it. No, no, there's no chance. Uh, so uh, that's actually going to end our episode here Dang. of uh, the Dump Stat. Uh, we want to thank you guys for stopping by the for watching dump. the Stat Dump. God damn it! Thank you for watching the Stat Dump. Uh, thank you for following. Uh, thank you for the subscribers uh, we got there. Uh, uh, the frozen guy who blew up was my old character. Uh, he deserved it, Sir Reginald von Fluff the Third. He was Craig a cat did it. Well, he was, was a jerk. Yeah. Craig kind of did it. Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe we'll tell that story on the next episode. Uh, make sure uh, that if you haven't already, um, you follow us. If you want, you can subscribe to us uh, or you can throw us some beautiful bits. We would greatly appreciate it. Uh, make sure you follow us on social media, Twitter at Dumpstatcha, uh, on Instagram at Dumpstat Charisma. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube where you will see this episode along with our actual plays. Um, you can search Dumpstat Charisma uh, on YouTube and that'll come up. Um, thank you, uh, Tricky, Tri- Walrus. Tricky Walrus, for the uh, follow. Beautiful. Really appreciate that. Great name, by the way. Yeah. Um, our next stream, I believe, is on uh, Monday at seven p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Seven thirty. Seven thirty. Seven thirty. Uh, we will be playing Paul's Star Wars: Edge of the Empire campaign, uh, entitled "Hunt for the Ripper." Um, and uh, if you can't catch that, you can catch us uh, the following Tuesday for our five E campaign, "The Awakening." It's my uh, first campaign. Um, we really appreciate you guys watching. Um, thank you. Yeah. Feel free to yes. submit any any questions you want to hear on our next episode, uh, either at Dumpstatcha. Dumpstatcha? Yep. Dumpstatcha, yeah. Um, or uh, hashtag the stat dump or whatever, you know. We'll, yeah. we'll figure it out. If you yeah. like this format, let us know. Yeah. Any suggestions, anything like that, it's a first try. Thanks, guys.